This podcast is brought to you by Exergo Technologies, providing some of the most affordable and portable sports science technology on the market. Made by coaches for coaches. Stop guessing, start assessing. Produced from the Cube Studios, this is Strong by Science. In-depth conversations about science-based training, sports performance, and all things health and wellness. Here's your host, Max Schmarzo. Hey guys, how we doing? Uh, appreciate you tuning in today. So this podcast is going to be just me, myself, and I. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about how we can better understand what is called the working effect of a muscle and how it pertains to our goals and our sports performance and all that fun stuff. And I promise we'll dive into it. So I know at first, you know, the working effect of a muscle might sound kind of intimidating. I promise you it's actually really simple. So first off, to understand movement in general, we need to understand that movement is an outcome of the working ability of your muscles and your ability of your muscles to produce force. And so in short, the working effect of your muscle is how much force your muscle can produce, typically in regards to within a time constraint of that movement or action. And so what I mean by that, the working effect of a muscle that squats a lot of weight might be different than the working effect of a muscle that does a vertical jump. However, that doesn't mean that they are distinctly different because some of the traits that allow you to jump high might be some of the same traits within the musculature that allow you to lift heavy weight and vice versa. So some of the crossover we'll talk about here in a little bit and how that plays a role. <clears throat> and so this kind of goes back to Yuri Verkashevsky. So he's a Russian sports scientist and Gosh, way back in the day, they're talking about, talking about, I mean, obviously, probably not talking, more researching in this case, how do muscles work and how does um, certain force time characteristics affect movement? So, again, when I say force time characteristics, this is referring to, you know, how much force or the force you're producing in context to the time that we're speaking about. So, force time characteristics, naturally pretty self-explanatory. So, the number one thing you need to understand when we're talking about movement is that there's an equation called the impulse. It's not an equation, but you know, it's a relationship. It's the impulse-momentum relationship. And so impulse is force multiplied by time, and that dictates the momentum of an object, which is mass times the velocity. And so typically our body doesn't really change mass at all when we're playing sports or when we're running, when we're jumping. So it's often looked at as impulse in context to your own body weight, assuming it's constant, is going to be um, dictating how fast an object moves. So the velocity of something. So again, momentum is mass times velocity. If mass is constant, then we know impulse is going to dictate the velocity. And if we know impulse is going to dictate the velocity, we know how far something's going to travel, how high someone's going to jump because the velocity aspect is is on takeoff that peak velocity on takeoff dictates how far something's going to go assuming you know it's all conditions being equal right it's not windy it's not you don't have certain clothes on that's going to create drag and slow you down <clears throat> and so what we become focused on is the force time aspects of movement so i'm gonna give you an example really quick if we're playing an egg toss game and I don't know if anyone's ever done this, like 4th of July, typically you have this where you line up really, 
you start really close and you throw an egg and then each toss you progressively step further and further away and if you break your egg when you catch it well then you lose and the team that can go the furthest distance while tossing an egg back and forth wins and so what's interesting here is it's all about strategy in order to understand force time characteristics that you apply to the egg that you're trying to catch and so let's make this example even easier let's pretend that at any moment in time, we produce a peak force of, let's make this up, 100 pounds to that egg, it breaks the shell. And so when you start really close and you throw the egg to your buddy, they can catch it, but they can catch it and they basically snag it out of the air without having to baby it or guide it down to the ground because they can apply you know, force quickly to this egg. And even if they apply it quickly, it doesn't mean that they have to apply a lot of force because the momentum of the egg is really small. And so let me take one more step down for uh, people who aren't as familiar with physics. In order to stop the egg from you know, completely crashing to the ground, you have to produce enough of an impulse that will stop the momentum of the egg itself. So let's give an example. Right? Let's say we pretend we toss this egg and we're standing you know, 10 feet apart or whatever. And let's magically pretend that the momentum on the egg equals, you know, uh, 200, right? And so now I need to apply enough force over a given period of time to allow for me to apply a total of 200, you know, force to the egg or impulse in this case without ever having it break above 100. And so what I do is I catch it but then I guide it down to the floor very slowly, right? This way I can apply a little bit of force, but by guiding it to the floor, I increase the amount of time that I'm applying the force. And so in this case, we if we don't want to break an egg, we want to apply force, but again, we don't want to apply high amounts of force, otherwise the eggshell will break. But we need to apply enough force over time to actually stop the egg from falling out of the sky. This is why as you step further and further and further back, momentum becomes greater and greater of that egg. And the amount of time you need to guide it down to the floor is how you can win the game without breaking the egg. Another example is like parkour individuals. So parkour is people who, I don't do parkour, but people like jump off of buildings and um, not high, high buildings, but relatively high buildings, like, you know, 15 foot walls and things. And what they do is when they jump, they don't just land and stick the landing because that would produce high amounts of peak force and possibly injure some of their soft tissue. They hit the ground and they roll. And so by rolling, they are allowing for a larger time period and over which this force is being applied to stop their momentum. So that's the you know, force over the time, right? Force multiplied by time is the impulse. And if we have a certain amount of impulse, we can have a, you know, a given momentum. Now, unlike those two examples, sport is kind of different. We don't want to increase the amount of time that we are applying um, or we're doing a movement so we can get a bigger impulse because slow time means slow velocity, right? Because if we want to do something quick, well, that's a shorter period of time. You want to move fast, be first one to get a rebound, be first one off the line, um, you know, stealing a base. You want to be quick. And so by nature, our time constraints are limited. 
So we need to be able to produce a certain amount of force within the time constraints that we have in order to produce an impulse that dictates our momentum or our speed that we want to ultimately be at. And so this actually kind of brings up an interesting way of looking at training. You can look at training from the standpoint of, um, you know, how large of an impulse are you dealing with and under what time constraints are you dealing with that impulse itself. So here's an example. Let's think about a squat. Now we got to produce lots and lots of force over a long period of time, relatively it's not super long, but over a longer period of time, so there's no time constraints. And all we're focusing on with those kind of maximal strength movements is how much force can we produce? Now the other examples maybe take a lighter load that doesn't weigh as much, but now you try moving it as fast as you can. So now we are reducing the time that we are allowed to do the movement and we are in this case, right, not producing as much force as we would with a squat or a heavy maximal squat, but we're challenging our ability to produce force rapidly. And now what you notice too, right, is when we talk about lifting, when we talk about influencing time variables, we typically do that by reducing the weight on the bar. And so in the example, right, as I went from a heavy squat to a lighter squat, and assuming both squats are done with maximal effort, then we know that the lighter squat is going to be done quicker at a higher velocity. And then we have the heavier squats to be done slower at a lower velocity. So in this case in sport, right, we typically are dictated by load to modulate our velocity, which in turn modulates and affects our time. So load influences velocity, velocity influences time. And in sport, time plays an important role. And so this is where we start to look at how can I apply exercises where I have to be very forceful, right, and have a time constraint. And so those are typically the sporting exercises that we apply, right? When you're going up for a jump, you only have a certain amount of time your foot's in contact with the ground. You only have so much time to develop force. And so while that's the most specific movement, we might not, because the time and load interval there is much different than a heavy squat, it might not place the demands that we want to be able to have the adaptation to our musculature that allow us to produce even more force otherwise. And so that's where you start to look at and understand, okay, I take these heavier, slower movements, that raises my potential to increase my force, so that F portion, and then I do fast movements like you know, plyometrics, bounding, skipping, running, to then challenge my time aspect. And so that's kind of very reductionist and easy way to look at this in regards to training. You have the potential to produce lots of force in a heavy movement. Then you have different movements that might be, you know, still heavy, but a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And you modify the load and you reduce the load to force the movement to be quicker. And this in turn slowly becomes closer and closer and closer to your sports specific movement. Now, at the beginning, I mentioned a guy named Yuri Verkashansky and the working effect of a muscle. I promised you would get to it, and we're going to get to it right here. So, Yuri Verkashansky had um, a model that he wrote out, and it's kind of an arbitrary model. It was used to describe the working effect of a muscle in general over the course of a time period. 
And he basically wrote out, and under his study and research, he determined that the way it typically works is that we first increase our ability to produce force within a given time interval. Then we begin to produce a little more force, but we actually do it in a quicker time interval. And then we get really good at rapidly producing force in a shorter time interval. So now what's happening is that if you look at it from a structural program standpoint, the initial increase in you know strength that we could call it or force without a change in time is that person building that max base, that max strength base that we know is a foundation, a critical foundation for athletic development. Then the next phase could be more of that power phase where now we are ability to you know produce force you know a little bit quicker under a smaller time frame. And in that last phase where force is produced extremely rapidly under a shorter time constraint is rate of force development. And this just goes to show that if you don't have a larger strength base, the ability to develop power and the, develop, the ability to develop you know, rate of force development qualities might be limited, right? Because now you can only, if you want to develop a lot of, oh, sorry, you want to have a rate of force development in which you can produce a lot of force fast, you first have to be able to produce a lot of force. And this is one of the arguments we have, and not to get too far off topic in regards to human development, is that maximal strength is almost always the limiting factor in the ability of a human's growth. And so what I mean by that, right, we don't start off jumping, we start off standing. It's almost always maximal strength as well. Again, expression, I should say, of maximal strength because maximal strength isn't just the raw ability of a single muscle. It's the orchestration or the synchronization of multiple muscles to perform a movement. So it is not only, it's the ability to express maximal strength that helps a baby stand. It's the ability to express maximal strength that helps them walk. Right? They don't go from, you know, again, it was, they crawl before you run kind of thing or crawl before you walk. Well, it's actually all dictated by maximal strength, the ability to express maximal strength. And so if we look at that from a base, you know, kind of, I don't call it evolutionary, but developmental standpoint, you can start to see why maximal strength is kind of that centerpiece. Now, when we talk about maximal strength in this regard, I really want to make it clear and make a, you know, take my time to make a point that it's not just how much weight you can lift. It is your ability to produce force relative to your body weight. And so and not to get, again, too far off topic, and I promise I won't, um, we often you see, oh, you know, this power lifter can lift so much weight, but they don't jump very high. They'd be the fastest person in the world, you know, if um, they could, you know, if, if being strong mattered that much. Well, yeah, but, you know, if someone who squats, say, you know, 800 pounds and that person weighs, you know, 300, well, that isn't as much strength as, well, it's a lot of strength, right? It's very strong. But that strength per body weight it's only about, what, 2.5? I'm not a mathematician, but was it? I said 800 or 300 pound person, right? It's basically 2. Point, do the math right here 2.666. Well, you could be lighter and possibly have greater lower body, not lower body, but greater relative strength. And also, we should talk about this too. It's not just the raw ability to produce strength in any given movement, it's the ability to exp express strength or express force in a sport-specific movement. So as Yuri Verkoshansky said in one of his works, it's all about the ability to improve the working effect of the muscle 
in a sporting specific movement and in regards to the working effect of the muscle he's essentially saying how much force you can produce at given time points to allow for optimal synchronization of the movement for force to be expressed maximally and most effectively that is the ultimate goal of sport how can we now incorporate the force aspects right the time constraint aspects and then we start to move into specific you know training modalities that challenge the neuromuscular pattern of the movement or the motor abilities of the movement that allow for expression of force in these given tasks and so while someone might be able to squat a lot of weight well that's not specific to running there's a lot more to running than there is to squatting, just like how there's a lot more to squatting than there's to running. Someone who's really fast doesn't make him a good squatter. Their skill, technique, the ability to express force, the ability to synchronize the limbs of your body to ensure that when we're doing this movement of you know, our sporting task, we're getting the most out of it that we possibly can. So when I look at it from that standpoint, you start to look at you know, the maximal force aspect the time constraint aspect. So you have movements like maximal, you know, let's say a squat. Then you have the time constraint aspects like the plyometrics. But then you, obviously you have the sporting skill itself. If I'm talking about jumping, I want to actually be able to produce a movement that's optimal for my biomechanics and takes skill. I have arm swing timing, the ability to have a block, or some people call it that penultimate step. I need to have my timing and my ability to produce the outcome optimal for my setting. And so Yuri Verkashansky dives in this a little bit further in his discussion when he talks about different strength qualities, like starting strength or the ability to produce rate of force development, explosive strength, accelerative strength, maximal strength. But what he highlighted was you can have all these different qualities and they might be at different levels. And you might have the same outcome despite two individuals have different dominant qualities. And so what I mean by that is he showed that, okay, we can have these specific qualities of maximal strength, explosiveness, accelerative strength, but then the human body self-organizes under those qualities to produce an outcome that is specific to the task at hand and theoretically optimal to yourself. Now, that doesn't mean it's the most optimal possible way to express it because what we look at now is that you might have a weak link in those qualities. Someone might be so dominant maximally strength, maximal strength-wise that higher velocity movements might elicit the adaptations that they're looking for. It might provide more bang for the buck or the exact opposite could be true. So you got to think of the body as these specific almost... Um, I don't call them scales, but scales like I can kind of think of at the moment, spectrums of ability. And the body self-organizes within that. So it says, okay, this is what I have to take from. I know I'm strong. I'm not very elastic. I'm X, Y, Z, and blah, blah, blah. And now I self-organize around these qualities so that when I perform my movement, I maybe am you know, slower to jump, I still jump pretty high because I'm allowing my maximal strength to take over. And here's a great example. If you've ever seen someone who's very strong, but not, you know, a trained jumper jump, what they do is they typically approach the rim and then all of a sudden they start to chop their steps and they basically jump from a standstill. You know, they slow down a whole bunch and they jump. What's happening there is their body isn't very good at being quick and explosive and elastic. So they can't just run into a jump and explode up. 
So your body has to run into it. They chop their steps a whole bunch and they pause and jump up because they're optimizing or maximizing their ability to produce maximal strength and maximal, this person's again, maximal strength dominant individual. If we talk about movements that are dynamic, that are most related to maximal strength, a standstill jump is one of the most specific to maximal strength. What they're doing is they're finding the optimal way to do it. And the, I, the exact opposite can exist for some people. Some people aren't very great on a standstill jump, but they're really great in an approach. They're really elastic. So that they can take that horizontal energy that they're developing as they, you know, their momentum as they run towards the hoop and they can transition that into a vertical. So these guys, you might say, Never want to go off two feet, especially from a standstill, but they're really good at approaching at a higher speed and redirecting it. And so for one person, maybe that becomes, okay, maximal strength is limiting my ability to maybe explode in a slow, you know, in a, uh, in a different manner. But then maybe my, you know, standing from a vertical jump, um, you know, is, is, I'm great at, but I'm really bad at, you know, being horizontal and, you know, elastic. So maybe more plyometrics become important. So that's when the skill aspect starts to integrate with the physical quality aspect and how they can influence, influence one another. And this brings up another debate is, okay, if you get someone later in their career, you know, how much do you want to adjust certain qualities right away? Are there certain qualities that if you think you adjust, it might actually hurt them more. Um, and I mean that from a skill standpoint, because if you start to develop certain qualities that maybe um, aren't best for their skill, maybe they'll throw patterning off, especially if you train that quality within a specific movement. And that's where sports specific exercises can kind of go wrong is if we don't look at it in context to that individual themselves and how they perform within their sport. And do you determine that person as successful within their sport? So, Kind of getting a quick breakdown of what we just talked about. Force times time, right? That's the impulse in momentum, mass, and velocity. Your impulse dictates your velocity. And so that's why when we start to look at different training modalities, we adjust it by load to change the velocity because load and velocity go hand in hand. The velocity typically changes the time variable and then it you know, from there modulates the force expression. Now, there are obviously different ways you can manipulate this in different fashions. We're talking about peak force and not just total force over a movement, right? Peak forces are very high during plyometric movements. They're explosive. They have sharp spikes, just like we're trying to catch that egg that we tossed in our egg toss. We'll break it because of high peak force. While producing a large impulse can still be done but maybe not with such a high peak force because they guide it down, we allow for a larger period of time. So then we start to apply that and break that down a little bit further. And you have different qualities that reside within that force time characteristics. Those qualities being maximal strength, explosive strength, you know, accelerative strength, strength speed, speed strength, you know, all that fun stuff. The body then self-organizes around those qualities based on one's ability. And sometimes those qualities can influence how someone's skill and tactical, technical approach to maybe a movement might be showcased. And then certain exercises might allow maybe for um, better transfer of movement. So if we are developing, you know, that strength aspect or that velocity aspect, making sure we have sport specific movements 
ingrained and mixed into it allows for that motor ingrained to be you know more robust and better developed. All right, guys. Um, I really appreciate you listening. I know it was a little more physics dominant kind of chat. Uh, I wanted to keep it concise to the point and really break down um, what it means and some of these terms means in regards to if you're reading these older texts, you know, or even you know, physics texts, how important it is in regards to our training. I appreciate you listening. If you guys have any questions, feel free to let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram. Again, thank you very much and take care, everyone.